You're listening to Paz de Chipotle, the show that will take you to discover the edible treasures of Mexico. Episode 32. Welcome to this episode of Paz de Chipotle, the audible companion of Sabor, This is Mexican Food, a digital magazine dedicated to exploring the markets, streets, recipes, and traditions that make Mexico an edible paradise. I'm your host, Rocío Carvajal, food history writer, cook, and author. To find more information about the show, please go to pazdechipotle.com. You can subscribe to the show and leave a review on iTunes, Player FM, Stitcher, Google Play, and YouTube. Around the world, autumn brings the last of the harvest celebrations of the year. Vast fields gleam under the timid and pale light of the increasingly shorter, windy and cold days. In the central high plains of Mexico, farmers harvest many of our beloved crops, including corn, enormous green and orange calabazas or pumpkins. And of course, flowers. Millions of flowers that will lusciously decorate altars. Because autumn in Mexico announces one of the biggest and highly anticipated celebrations of the nation. Perhaps more than any other Mexican tradition, Dia de Muertos is so internationally recognized and even celebrated because it has so many levels of complexity as it brings together in a very harmonious syncretism ancient pre-Columbian traditions with Catholic rites that gave way to a richer spiritual and religious expressions purposefully created to honor the dead. And also this tradition keeps evolving continuously and new generations add their own take and their own ways to expressing this heritage. This fascinating and culturally significant tradition was inscribed in UNESCO's list of intangible cultural heritage of humanity in 2008. And this episode comes with extra goodies. On my website, pasdechipotle.com, you will find two blog posts with extra material. And you can also enjoy the Dia de Muertos YouTube special. One story at a time, Paz de Chipotle will change forever the way you think about Mexico's culinary tradition and amazing cultural heritage. This episode is also an invitation to discover, understand, and enjoy a tradition that helps us find deeper and more meaningful ways to reconnect with our ancestors. I hope you enjoy this episode. Every culture and civilization that has ever existed has dealt with death in different and very unique ways. 
birth and death must have seemed like a true miracle, and no doubt they mystified the early human groups, and around these two unavoidable and powerful events, many myths, rites, and systems of beliefs were created. Studying a culture's relationship with death helps opening fascinating horizons of understanding, in essence, how each culture understands life. Because some might appreciate life as a long, continuous journey, while others see death as a total disruptive event, and this affects directly how human groups live their lives. In ancient central Mexico, the Mexica, who were also called Aztec, developed a very particularly militarized and bellicose culture, in which death had many meanings to them. Apart from being an unavoidable natural consequence of being alive, it was also seen as an ultimate self-sacrifice and the beginning of a long spiritual journey from which they could sometimes return by means of reincarnation. But like I said, this was a very bellicose group in which killing was also a tool of political control, punishment and revenge. From a surviving Mexica poem, we can have a glimpse of their understanding of death. Let me read this translation for you. We have only come to dream. We came to sleep. It is not true. It is not true. Where shall we go? We only came to be born. Our home is beyond. There, where the skinned are. Do we really live on earth? Not forever, only briefly. We can then grasp that for the Mexica, physical life was a mere stage of existence and the true essence of the soul could morph once it was free from its earthly form. But we can also sense this feeling of not being entirely sure what's beyond, yet they don't see death as a real end. They believed that people who volunteered to be sacrificed would continue their eternal journey as companions of the sun, along with the women who died during childbirth. But they also believed that, for instance, those who died drowned, they will live a joyous afterlife in the Tlalocan, which was Tlaloc's paradise, who was a god of rain. And children were believed to become jewel-like fruits from the sacred tree of life. Mexico has plenty of archaeological evidence that helps us better understand the specific death rites from the ancient cultures. Some of the oldest findings date from 6,000 years before Christ and are from the valley of Tehuacan in Puebla. And perhaps it is no coincidence because it was precisely there where the agricultural revolution of the Neolithic took place, where corn was first domesticated. And what we've learned from these archaeological findings is that food was almost always present at these burials, which means that ancient indigenous tribes attributed sacred and spiritual powers to specific foods, believing they could even nourish the soul of the departed. I wonder what would they make of our modern relationship to food, and if there are any similar conceptions in our contemporary societies. How much do we value and honor the food that keeps us alive? Think of it, who would like to be buried with a Big Mac combo? Well, returning to the Mexica traditions, 
the afterlife for the rest of the population that died of natural causes and didn't have a glorious farewell, apparently what was next wasn't easy at all. Those souls were believed to have to carry a four-year-long path sorting many dangers in the feared and sinister Mictlan, which was the underworld ruled by the treacherous god Mictlantecutli, who had a taste for human flesh. This god was worshipped at many temples, but also by the eagle warriors at the great city of Tenochtitlan in today's Mexico City. Eagle warriors were an elite group of knights known for the fearless and ruthless training and performance in battle. In this long journey, souls could get lost, trapped for eternity in the Mictlan, which is why, very often, people were buried along with a Xolus Quintli, the only dog race native to Mexico. These black-skinned, hairless dogs were valued for their loyalty and alleged powers to guide souls through the Mictlan. And oddly enough, these dogs were also part of the Mexica diet, so apparently sometimes they actually ate their best friend. But let me tell you more about how the Mexica used to celebrate the dead. So they carried these very long festivals that lasted for two whole months, culminating in very special ceremonial sacrifices that always involved the voluntary participation of people. You see, human sacrifice in ancient Mexico has always been a source of dark tales and gruesome fascination. But the truth is that for them, it was one of the highest honors they could aspire to, as it was their belief that by offering their life and bodies to the gods, they would ensure a prosperous and peaceful life for their communities. And that's why these high-profile rituals were always solemnly performed. And according to some ancient surviving codex, we know that only in very special occasions, anthropophagy was part of these rituals. That means the eating of human flesh. At the arrival of Spanish conquistadors and the establishment of the colony, the native tribes were forced into converting to Catholicism and a systematic program to eradicate all quote-unquote pagan savage traditions was actively enforced for hundreds of years. But the fact that the Spanish population was heavily outnumbered by indigenous people, many of the old rites and religious celebrations were actually not erased, but instead they formed a syncretism together with a Christian faith, and it was then during the colonial period that the Dia de Muertos, we know and recognize today, took shape. The first conceptual change regarding the perception and understanding of death is that, for the Christian faith, death was seen as an end and no return journey, and the afterlife only presented two scenarios of salvation or suffering, depending on the way a person carried his or her life. And the second conceptual change was that life under this new religious perspective was regarded as a period of almost constant suffering, a valley of tears and pain, because those things were seen as tests that would challenge a person's faith, and so death was the only way to regain a state of eternal grace. But something didn't quite fit with the ancient conceptions of the indigenous population. 
After all, they really didn't have a negative perception of death. They knew it wasn't a permanent stage, and that their existence simply took a different path. In other words, they did not fear death, and they were not intimidated by it. They simply didn't buy the idea of living in fear of something that was natural. So, since the notions of death, purgatory and suffering lacked the desired effect that the Catholic Church anticipated, an unspoken and slow syncretism gave way to the assimilation of both traditions, and so the two-month celebrations of the dead gave way to only six days, on the final days of October and the first two of November, making them coincide with the Catholic calendar celebrating All Saints Day, also called All Hallows Day on November the 1st, and All Souls Day, or The Faithful Departed, on November the 2nd. The cultural assimilation of Spaniards and the rapid growth of the mixed race or mestizo population came hand in hand with a fascinating boom of artistic expressions, music, dances, carnivals, gastronomy, theater, illustration, and literature became a cultural catalyst, channeling a highly complex and rich mix of worldviews and the creation of a new hybrid culture in which death was often stripped off any gloomy connotations and was instead mocked, ridiculed, and at the same time popular folk art constantly flirted with the idea of taunting and daring death that was often giving the physical aspect of a playful skeleton. During the 19th century, the famous caricaturist and political satirist José Guadalupe Posada was responsible for creating the well-loved character of the Catrina. Catrina is a word used to refer to an elegant woman, except in this case is the skeleton of a woman, dressed in an outrageously flamboyant and colorful attire, with a big hat with flowers and feathers. You can find several images of the Katrina on this episode's blog post on my website, pasachipotle.com. It was also during the 19th century that a very famous poetry style known as Calaverita, or Little Skull, was created. And these poems can be long or short, and always written in small rhyming verses to flatter friends, and they're often exchanged during the Day of the Dead. The poems are always playful, and often include descriptions of how a person constantly avoids death, but his or her life is inevitably taken by the skinny one, the bony, the cold one, La Catrina. These poems often have an uplifting ending, in which the subject has a great time doing what he or she enjoys the most for all eternity in the afterlife. I want to read you a little anonymous Calavera poem. I will begin with the Spanish version. Es Calavera el inglés, Calavera el italiano, lo mismo Maximiliano y el pontífice romano, y todos los cardenales reyes, duques, concejales, y el jefe de la nación, en la tumba son iguales, calaveras de montón. And now the translation. Englishmen turn into skeletons, just as Italians do. Same goes for Maximilian, and all cardinals too. Kings, dukes, and advisors, and each and every head of state. In the grave we are all equal, Just a bunch of skeletons.
and now I've chosen for you a song that is called God Never Dies. This waltz was composed by the Oaxacan violin virtuoso and composer Macedonio Alcalá Prieto. It was originally a symphonic piece, but I'll play for you a rare mariachi version by the famous actor and singer Pedro Infante. The lyrics explore the musician's own reflections on his own mortality. In the opening verse, we hear the following. The sun dies in the hills with a pale dim light because life in its incessant speed drives us to die. But I don't care knowing that I will have the same end because I find comfort in the fact that God never dies. Muere el sol en los montes con la luz que agoniza, pues la vida en su prisa nos conduce a morir. Pero no importa saber que voy a tener el mismo final, porque me queda el consuelo que Dios nunca morirá. Voy a dejar las cosas que amé, la tierra ideal que me vio nacer, pero sé que después habré de gozar la dicha y la paz. Que en Dios hallaré. Sé que la vida empieza en donde se piensa. Que la realidad termina. Sé que Dios nunca muere y que se conmueve del que busca su beatitud. Sé que una nueva luz habrá de alcanzar nuestra soledad y que todo aquel que llega a morir empieza a vivir una eternidad muere el sol en los montes con la luz agoniza pues la vida en su prisa nos conduce a morir The specific rituals and altars prepared for the Day of the Dead take many different forms and have variations according to every region in Mexico. Let's not forget that Mexico is an ethnically diverse country with more than 62 different indigenous groups. 
but certain commonalities are shared across the nation. Let me walk you through the symbolism of a Day of the Dead altar from central Mexico. The altar itself represents a portal that connects the world of the living with the world of the dead. According to regional and even local traditions, these altars, also called ofrendas, can be built and dressed at home or right at the cemetery, using the tomb of one or several of the deceased family members as a platform to build it. There are literally dozens of variations of altars that go from the very humble to the highly sophisticated that resemble true architectural pieces, consisting of different levels on which very distinctive elements are often present. The altars for Dia de Muertos are basically understood as a true mestizo celebration that has both European and indigenous influence and traditions. The burning of incense and copal, along with the presence of candles and water, are aimed to guide the souls of the departed back home, to purify them after their long journey. Photographs and sugar skulls with the names of the deceased are placed at the altar, not only because it's a way to remember them, but people believe that this helps the spirits recognize their own altar and enjoy it. Some communities, however, believe that the souls are just not able to recognize their own photography, so they place mirrors to allow them to see their reflection and then recognize it. As you can see already, the incorporation of very modern objects, such as photography, have quickly become re-signified as cultural and even sacred objects that have found very specific ritualistic purpose in these altars. I'm gonna make a second pause now, because I want you to listen to this beautiful folk song called La Llorona, the crying woman. This is the story of a man who is in love with the spectral presence of the ghost of a woman, and he grieves for the fact that they can't be together. The version you're gonna hear now is interpreted by the great folk singer Susana Harp and the Symphony Orchestra of Oaxaca. Llorona de azul silvestre 
Growing up, I remember how very diligently my paternal grandmother, Rebecca, would prepare a full breakfast, lunch and dinner and place it at the altar to feed the souls of her parents and that of my own granddad. And we will put the traditional bread from central Mexico called hojaldras, which is a type of brioche-like pastry shaped in the form of a pile of bones and topped with either sugar or sesame seeds, exclusively for the enjoyment of the spirits. Along with that, special treats such as their favorite drinks, sweeties, and even cigarettes were often seen at the altar, along with specially significant objects that belonged to the visiting souls. Another important element that comes straight from ancient traditions is the presence of flowers, like nube, as it's called in Mexico, a tiny white flower that you might know by the name of baby's breath. Flor de terciopelo, or velvet flower, is a very unusual-looking inflorescence covering what feels and looks like tiny magenta feathers that give the impression and feel of velvet fabric. But without a doubt, it is sempasuchitl, or marigold, as you might know it, the flower that not only dresses the altars with its beautiful and distinctive orange color, but also perfumes the whole season. On a quick note, I want to mention that this flower is neither African nor Indian, but native to central Mexico, which was exported to Africa, India and Europe during the Colombian exchange. So while in India this flower is associated to celebrations like weddings, in Mexico everybody knows just by looking or smelling them that the Day of the Dead is coming soon. Some communities make marigold bunting to decorate the altars, while others simply make floral arrangements. But most towns in central Mexico also use the petals of the Sempasutitl to make little carpets that start right outside the front door, leading the way in where the altar is located. In many regions, themed cut-out paper, or papel picado, is also present as part of the decorations and the designs can be incredibly complex and yet very delicate and almost ephemeral as the tissue paper that is used to make them often doesn't survive beyond a few days. It is believed that exactly at 2 p.m. on November the 1st, the spirits arrive in their homes or go to the cemetery where their families are waiting for them and they're welcomed with distinctive aroma of burning incense and prayers and they are invited to eat from the altar. In many towns and cities all over Mexico, people travel to visit and experience this tradition, and families very generously welcome strangers at their homes, offering them food, sometimes hot chocolate and bread, or just a comfortable chair to sit and accompany them for a little while. Whether you are religious or not, it is hard not to notice and feel the devotion and care put in the making of these traditions. And even if you have never met these families before, it is indeed a very special and intimate way to share the commonality of our own mortality and witness the absolute certainty that moves Mexicans to welcome the invisible presence of the souls. On November the 2nd, Families usually spend some time at cemeteries, cleaning and dressing the tombs, burning copal and lighting candles. It is not unusual to see mariachi bands, singing, 
as mourners share anecdotes of happy times with their deceased friends and family members. On November the 3rd, once the celebration have concluded, the altar is dismantled and friends and family are invited to join for a dinner of hot chocolate, champurrado or atole, which are hot sweet drinks made with corn masa and the pastries that were taken off the altar. This act brings closure to the many emotions relieved on the past days and helps create family and community bonds over these traditions and the notion of togetherness. The descriptions I've made today are based on how Dia de Muertos or Day of the Dead is celebrated in central Mexico, but there are many rich and very famous different traditions, like that of Pascuaro in Michoacán, Mizquic in the state of Mexico, and Xochimilco in Mexico City. I will post links and photos on this episode blog post on my website about these different traditions. To wrap up this episode, I want to finish by saying that in recent decades, the rapid incorporation of elements from other cultures and even ways of celebrating Dia de Muertos has created new forms of cultural expressions. For instance, many children now dress up to go trick-or-treating as Catrinas, Frida Kahlo, and also wearing many other traditional Mexican costumes. You might remember the somehow recent 007 film Spectre that was filmed in Mexico, portraying a large Day of the Dead carnival in the streets of Mexico City. The truth is that there is no such tradition, or at least there wasn't, and never before in the history of Mexico a Day of the Dead carnival had taken place. However, the Mexican public reacted so well to this idea that from that very year onwards, a Dia de Muertos carnival now takes place in Mexico City. As you can see, this only shows how flexible cultural traditions can be, and without falling into the trap of cultural relativism that aims to maintain such expressions untouched, we must understand that life and culture, by consequence, are the result of a constant flow of ideas, exchange and transformation, and it is the ultimate decision of those who own such traditions to adapt and decide what works for them. And even with the addition of these and many other foreign elements into this tradition, we can say that Dia de Muertos remains, by far, a cultural pillar for Mexicans of all ethnic groups from every city and every community. Dia de Muertos speaks to the very core of our essence, of what defines us as Mexicans, a multi-ethnic, European, indigenous and mestizo nation. Dia de Muertos is a tradition that indeed is very much alive. This is Mexican Food is a digital editorial project that celebrates the wonderful world of Mexican gastronomy, the flavors, ingredients, and traditions that have shaped this world-acclaimed cuisine. And now you can purchase and download a bundle containing all four available issues, 
The Origins, Coco, Street Food, and Mexican Fiestas. Enjoy 23 thought-provoking articles and stunning photography that opens a window to understand and appreciate Mexico's rich culinary traditions and unveil the secrets to prepare 43 delicious recipes that bring families together and will help you enjoy the making of your own traditions. Go to pasachipotle.com forward slash magazine and get your bundle of sabor. Enjoy it in all your digital devices. Go to pasachipotle.com forward slash magazine and get ready to cook, learn and enjoy Mexican food like you never imagined. Thank you for listening. This episode was written and produced by me, Rocío Carvajal. To find more information about this project, please go to pasdechipotle.com. The production of this podcast is something I greatly enjoy, and I know you enjoyed this project too. But it requires hours of research and dedication to create great content for you. You can support the show by giving a five-star review on your podcast app, subscribing to my newsletter, and also by making a small donation on Patreon. Patreon is the largest platform that connects independent creators like myself with amazing audiences who appreciate creativity and thought-provoking shows like you. Go to patreon.com forward slash Chipotle podcast. Every donation makes a big difference for the show. Go to patreon.com forward slash Chipotle podcast and be part of this delicious story. The next episode is an interview with Mexican-American traditional cook and tamale innovator, Saul Talavera, better known to his clients in Las Vegas, Nevada as El Tamalucas. You can start preparing for the episode by following him on Instagram and get hungry right away. Well, that's it for this week, my friends. Until the next time.